0: This is Isaac Morehouse. Welcome to the podcast, where we discuss education, entrepreneurship, big ideas, how to put them into practice in the real world, and above all, how to live free. Marginal utility. Welcome to an episode of Ask Isaac, where we're covering a question that has a very nerdy sounding name. It's the kind of thing that my wife often chides me for when we're having casual conversation, you know, about things around the house or what we're going to do this weekend or something with the kids. And I'll use phrases like marginal utility. Uh, And I'm not trying to be cute. It's just like, um, that's something that's, you know, it's a language that I like and that I'm familiar with in my own crude way anyway. And she makes fun of me mercilessly. Okay. Uh, before we get to today's question, which is about marginal utility, what is it? Why does it matter? That's what we're going to talk about. Uh, I just want to remind you can always submit questions at Isaacmorehouse.com. There's a little tab that says ask Isaac, and you just submit a question with your name. If you want to be anonymous, you can be anonymous. And I try to do one of these episodes once a week, roughly, and I try to keep up on all the questions. Um, I have not missed one yet. I have responded to every question. And if you have one, unless it's horribly boring or a repeat uh, or somehow, I don't know. It would, it's hard for me to imagine a question that I wouldn't at least try to answer. So uh, isaacmorehouse.com slash ask-Isaac or you can just find the Ask Isaac tab. Please submit your questions. Thank you as always to Love the uh, production engineer, I guess you would call him, who does the fine editing work On this program. All right. So on today's question, I have to preface it by saying I'm not a professional economist. I'm not really sure what uh, a professional economist is, what that means. Um, If it means having a PhD in economics, uh, I think that's a pretty bad definition because I know a lot of people who do who um, I wouldn't consider go-tos for economic advice, depending what you mean by economic advice. Uh, to me, an economist is someone who really understands the discipline of economics, its history, what it means, what economic thinking is, how it applies to various areas in the world. Um, many of those people are PhDs in economics, many are not, but uh, there's all kinds of different specialists and, you know, um, someone who, let's say, analyzes the stock market um, that to me they may or may not be an economist in addition but that's a different a different thing but regardless I don't see myself as a professional economist I've studied economics uh, mostly informally somewhat formally as well and um, I love it I'm passionate about it at, at the very basic level I'm not really into the the calculus and the um, you know all the graphs and charts and the, the the sort of mathematically heavy side, uh, econometrics and all that stuff for various reasons. One, I don't find it that exciting. Two, I think it has very little explanatory power uh, and it's way overhyped. I like good, solid economic thinking. Uh, e- economics as a lens through which to view the world. And I'm sure many of these podcast episodes have revealed that. So anyway, that out of the way, there are plenty of other explanations for marginal utility out there. Um, there's, you know, if you like the graphs and and charts and things like that. If you Google it, you'll find a lot of stuff, but I'm going to give you a very layman's, like the way I'm just going to give you the way I understand it and what makes the concept useful and valuable to me. Cause all I'm interested in is what I'm interested in. (laughs) And if it's interesting to me, uh, and useful to me, that's, that's what I care about. So I'll describe it in that way. So the question that I'm responding to came from Steve Thomas. And Steve says, please explain the theory of marginal utility and give a few practical examples. Thank you very much, Steve, for the question. So here we go. Marginal utility is the value of one unit of a good. The value of one unit of a good. So marginal, meaning very small. Sort of small amount and utility, meaning the value or utility the benefit that uh, that good brings with it, okay, so the really, really important thing here is that utility or value, and I'm going to use them interchangeably for purposes of this podcast episode um, they don't necessarily they, they they can have different meanings, but just for the purposes of this basic episode. Value is subjective in economics. Econ- value in economics is subjective. So when we're talking about the utility of a good, that the, the value it creates for the person who's using it, it's totally subjective. That means it's different for every person. It could be different from one minute to the next. Um, you know, your congratulations Chicago Cubs for going to the World Series t-shirt is valued by you and everyone else, uh, at a certain level the day before they lose the NLCS and it's valued at a different level the day after, right? Same good. Nothing has changed in that t-shirt except for external circumstances. So value is subjective. We're not talking about, you know, how much is, uh, how much is a, a hunk of gold worth? There's no objective worth. It completely depends on who you're trying to sell it to. What are their preferences? What do they value compared to what else? Um, so that's what we're talking about, subjective. And when we say unit, the value of one unit of a good, that's how I'm defining marginal utility. What is one unit? How big is one unit? Well, that's totally flexible as well. It's based on circumstance, okay? And I'll explain in a minute why this why you know this matters so much. You'll see, but um, take, for example oh, let's say bubblegum. If you ask me how valuable is bubblegum, I can't answer that question even if you ask me just based on my own subjective value. How much do you, Isaac, value bubblegum? Well, there's not enough definition to that question because how much bubblegum are we talking about? Are we talking about bubblegum, the concept, all the bubblegum in the known universe? Or are we talking about one stick, of bubble gum, or a pack, or ten packs. What are we talking about, right? So when I say the unit, one unit of a good, it's whatever the unit is in question. So if you say, you know, what is the value to you of one pack of bubble gum? That's a different answer than the value of bubble gum as a whole, which I don't think really could be answered uh, because it's not it's not actionable. And to know something's value to someone. They can say whatever they want. It's what economists would call their stated preference. Oh, I value, you know, whatever, all the bubble gum in the world at a bajillion dollars. But that means nothing in economics in terms of revealing the actual value. Until you can act on it and sort of exchange something for it, we can't see what you're really willing to give up. And with something like that that I could never actually purchase or collect in one place, um, there's really no way to put a value on it to, to know. Okay, so... Marginal utility is the value of one unit of a good. Here is why this is really important. I'm going to give you three riddles and marginal utility will help us answer all of them. You ready? Here we go. We need water to survive. Without water in a few days, humans would be dead. Second only to oxygen, uh, the air that we breathe, water is the most important thing bar none for human life. Yet a, what do you want to say? Say a, a bag, a bag of water, a little 20 ounce container full of water is going to cost far less on the market than a 20 ounce container of diamonds. Diamonds bring almost no survival value to humans. I mean, you can use them in some, you know, industrial like cutting um, tools and things like that. But, but if all the diamonds in the world uh, vanished, I don't, I don't think any humans would die. I don't think human survival um, would be, you know, in any great jeopardy. If all the water in the world vanished, absolutely, right? So water is more valuable than diamonds. Why are diamonds, are, is more valuable to human life. Why are diamonds so much more expensive than water? The second riddle. Um, why is it true that we will never run out of oil? And that is true, by the way. Why is that true? We'll come back to all these. And the third riddle, why is it the case that when seatbelt laws are passed, there is a net increase, a slight net increase in accidents and death, um, auto uh, injuries and death as a result of auto accidents. There is a slight increase. When seatbelt laws, laws that mandate people wear seatbelts, which we know if you're in a crash with a seatbelt, your your injury likelihood and severity is going to be lower than if you're in a crash without a seatbelt. But when those laws pass, why is it that the injuries uh, actually increase slightly? All right, we're going to take these one at a time and see how marginal utility, this idea that... Uh, the value of one unit of a good is the important um, is the important question. This is going to explain these three. So, number one, diamonds and water. It's all about the unit. I have access to so much water; I'm never about to die of thirst. So, if you say, "How much will you pay for twenty ounces of water?" I'll say, "I don't know, a quarter, a dollar." I'm not sure. Um, depends on where I am. Right. Uh, but for most of the time, not more than a few dollars, uh, in an airport, maybe like $19 or whatever they slap on those stupid Fiji waters. Um, I think that's filtered through diamonds anyway, (laughs) right? We're not talking about all the water in the world. If I could say to you, what's worth more, all the water in the world or all the diamonds in the world, not even close, not even close, all the water in the world, is worth so much where water as a concept, as a good is more valuable. But in economics, that's not what we're dealing with in the real everyday world. Diamonds on the other hand are not abundance uh, and people find them beautiful. I don't really care about them, but I would take a diamond uh, over a gallon of water if you offered it because I know other people value them enough that I could sell it and make a lot of money. Um, so it's about the unit that we're dealing with. Now, again, because value is subjective, this is very contextual. If you're dying of thirst in the desert, uh, you and you had a, a giant trunk full of diamonds, you would probably trade it for one gallon of water, if it meant that you could survive, right? Another day or another, you know, a couple days. It is highly contextual, um, but marginal utility is what helps us unravel this mystery that that very early economists struggled with. Um, they felt like there had to be something, there had to be something that like de- determined the value of a good. Something objectively about that good, how much labor went into it, or something about its qualities and characteristics. Not at all. It's all subjective and it's all up to the time and place of the person doing the valuing. And that person is only ever deciding between the next available unit. They're never choosing whether or not to buy water as a concept or diamonds as a concept. They're choosing whether to buy. Um, you know, whether to pay a thousand dollars for a diamond, which might be a great deal, or for a gallon of water, um, which is really abundant. So the marginal utility of each additional unit of water is very, very low compared to the marginal utility of each additional unit of a diamond. Uh, Water is more valuable than diamonds as a whole, but we're talking about each additional unit. Okay. Number two, why won't we ever run out of oil? Because all of the, so let's say we don't discover any more oil reserves than everything that's known right now, and that our oil consumption rate keeps increasing steadily. And you can go and find all these projections, and they're always changing because they keep finding more oil reserves and the consumption rate changes. But let's say all that was stayed constant. And let's just say, I have no idea if this is true, let's say that we're 50 years away from running out of oil. We will never actually use up all the oil that's in the earth because uh, you know where I'm going with this. Let's say you've got a a well and you can get 90% of the oil out of it and sell it for a certain amount per barrel. That last little bit, maybe you can get 99% of it. That last little bit, the last little bits of oil spread around the earth, the cost of getting those final marginal units of oil is likely to exceed, will at some point exceed The value of those units. This is why every gold mine, every copper mine, every mine that's ever been abandoned still has gold or copper or something else in it. Um, Because the cost of getting those last marginal units exceeds the benefit that those units bring, exceeds the value that they can command. Because these are intensive, heavy operations. You need a whole bunch of equipment to break through rocks to get oil or gold or whatever it might be. And you've got to have an, um, an amount that's sufficient to justify all that cost. And so the marginal cost will exceed the benefit. This is really important in business to understand, uh, when to stop increasing production of something. For example, maybe you can, you can, you know, keep adding more machines that increase your production rate, but at some point you are going to, Uh, the cost of each additional unit you produce is going to exceed the benefit of each additional unit you produce. So um, again, marginal utility, it's not only utility as in value benefit, it can also be a cost, marginal cost. So the cost or benefit of each additional unit. Okay, finally, what's called the Pelsman effect because the economist Sam Pelsman is most famous for uh, studying and discussing this. Seatbelt laws. You pass a seatbelt law, Uh, we've seen this in many States and, uh, injuries and deaths go up. Why is this? It's because humans make decisions on the margin, even if it's subconscious sometimes, even if you're not consciously calculating. So humans have, let's say we've got a guy named Joe and Joe has a certain level of risk tolerance. He's willing to incur a, uh, 0.1% chance of death uh, on a given day, I <laughs> would well, just play along with me. Okay. And let's say, um, or, 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 you know, depending upon the activity, let's say when he wants to go somewhere, he's willing to increase his risk of death by a certain percentage, right? Which is why he's willing to get in his car and drive somewhere because we all know that getting in a car and driving increases our chance of death versus just staying at home and sitting on the couch. It's much more dangerous to drive around in traffic than it is to not drive around at all and to sit around at home unless you live on an active volcano or something like that. So you're increasing your chances of injury and death every time you get in a car. And we're willing to accept a certain level of risk. And the level of risk we're willing to tolerate, our personal risk tolerance, we make those decisions on the very small margin. And so uh, let's say you are someone who is willing to risk uh, not only the normal risks of driving, but the increased risk of injury of not wearing a seatbelt maybe because you have a really nice suit that you just had ironed and pressed and the value to you of keeping that suit wrinkle-free is higher than the negative value of the slightly increased risk of injury from not wearing a seatbelt, okay? Um, But to compensate for that increased risk of not wearing a seatbelt, you are going to drive slightly safer so that your overall level of risk tolerance, that you're maintaining a level of risk consistent with your overall risk tolerance, okay? Now a law is passed that says if you are caught with no seatbelt on, no matter how safe you're driving, you will get pulled over uh, and fined whatever, $100 and points will go on your license. Now the cost calculation has changed. Now there's an additional cost to not wearing that seatbelt. So now you will say, darn it, I'll start wearing the seatbelt, right? Which is why the laws actually work at making more people wear seatbelts because it changes, it increases the cost of not wearing them. I mean, you know, already the cost is a higher risk of death, but that's the thing. People make decisions on the margin. They're not like, eh, I'll choose death today because they're not actually choosing death. They're choosing a slightly increased risk of injury um, or I don't know how much increased it is, but depending upon, you know, the type of accident and whatnot. Okay, so now the cost-benefit calculation has changed. They're going to wear their seatbelt, but internally their preferences have stayed the same. They still have the same level of risk tolerance. So what are they going to do now that they're wearing a seatbelt? They're going to drive a little bit riskier. They feel a little bit safer. They are a little bit safer. And they're willing to tolerate a higher level of risk and drive more aggressively to compensate. So what you find is uh, more accidents, but the injuries are less severe in those accidents because of the seatbelt. You would think it would all cancel out, but there's one group that doesn't get any safety benefits from more people wearing seatbelts, and that is pedestrians or people on bikes. So the increase in accidents affects car-to-car accidents, but also car-to-pedestrian and biker accidents. And so accidents go up, the severity of injuries goes down, and the number of injuries because people wearing seatbelts, except for among those who are not in cars. And so the overall level of accidents and injuries and deaths goes up slightly because people make decisions at the margin. Again, if I said to you, do you choose death or a seatbelt? You would never choose death. People are not irrational. They're not choosing death over a seatbelt. If I said to you, would you choose a 0.05% chance of a 10% uh, increase in injury over a 100% guarantee that you're going to wrinkle your suit at an interview that could land you a job that pays $60,000. Now you have something to decide because you're making decisions on the margin. Okay. So I hope that wasn't too convoluted, too complex. That's how I understand marginal utility. That's what makes it useful to me. It's, it's, looking at the value of the next unit of a good of the actionable unit of the unit of a good that we can actually make a decision about. And that the the value of a good in the marketplace is not about the value of that good as a whole, but it's about how it's valued at the margin. The fact that, you know, Michael Jordan earns a lot more money than some, you know, whatever, uh, you know, pet doctor somewhere, doesn't mean that Michael Jordan, that people think he's a better human being and he is more valuable as a human. It means that he is more scarce when he was playing basketball. Anyway, his marginal product to see what he could do was so unique that you would be willing to pay a little bit more to go see him do his thing than to go see the typical animal doctor do their thing because they're, you know, the, the, the value of that marginal animal doctor. uh, They were less scarce. There's more of them out there, et cetera. And because value is subjective and other things, but hopefully that makes sense. Steve, it's a great question, really important concept. And um, I'd be happy to, uh, to entertain some of my much better versed economist friends, um, giving some feedback on different ways that they describe marginal utility Um, reasons why it's important, and maybe what was lacking in my own description. Thanks again. Check out isaacmorehouse.com for more podcast episodes, daily blog posts, and where you can also submit more questions.